thank you, Chi, for reading scripture for us. And well, Malika is gone, but thank you to Malika for leading us in prayer. Hello, church. How are you? Are you all um, very intrigued by what we just read? Wondering what the dragon and the child is? Everyone's like, oh. Anyways, um, it's great to be here with you all. Um, we'll be covering Revelation 12 today. It's a lot to cover in 20 to 25 minutes, um, but we will, yeah, we will try and we'll jump straight in. So, um, in the past few weeks, Pastor Wei has taken us through many challenging passages um, in the book of Revelation, and he has stressed again and again and again, um, and very importantly, how as followers of the slain lamb, okay, how about this? Okay, how about I don't move? I just, <laughs> it's very hard for me. You all, those of you who know me, you know I gesture a lot. So I'll, tr I'll try to be a little bit more still. Anyways, as I was saying, <laughs> um, yeah, Pastor Wade really um, emphasized how we have to look like the slain lamb that we follow. Is this better? Okay. And today, we're going to continue on this theme of Jesus following, looking at why following Jesus can be tough at times. Um, do you find it difficult sometimes? Yes, of course, yeah. So why do we face opposition when we follow Jesus? If victory has been secured by the risen Christ, why are we still struggling? Why? You know, if you, have, if you have ever been intrigued or puzzled by the idea of spiritual warfare, or if you've ever wondered what Paul means by this, the schemes of the devil, or for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world. If you've ever been curious about that, our passage today, chapter 12, and next week, chapter 13, might give you some important insights. Together, they are sometimes called the, the Holy War. And today, we're going to be looking at part one. And next week, part two. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is a, is a light unto our path. You show us who you are. You show us what your world is supposed to look like. You show us the reality that lies behind what we, what we can only see with our naked eyes, but we do not know. So thank you for your word that guides us, that gives us wisdom, that teaches us how to live and how to persevere. Amen. Okay, so, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, as you were, as you heard the word read just now, did your mind go everywhere, like trying to think and imagine what the dragon looks like? whether it's spewing fire or water. Apparently, the Western dragon has fire and the Chinese dragon has water. And so I don't know what you were um, thinking about just now or what you were trying to picture, but it is so easy to be distracted, right, by all the code words, all the mysterious images. So much so that we might actually miss what the author is trying to convey. And so as we go through this passage, we want to keep in mind that John is writing a pastoral letter here to guide the church, to help the followers of Jesus follow Jesus faithfully in the face of very difficult situations where, you know, 
evil seems to triumph all the time. So for them, back then, persecution was rampant. Many Christians had been killed, including prominent people like Peter, the disciple of Jesus, like Paul, the apostle Paul, and even John, John the author of Revelation, had also been banished to the island of Patmos when he wrote the letter. And so it could seem like everything's just falling apart. And, you, and there was this immense pressure to worship the Roman emperor, to regard him as God. And failure to do so, you know, dire consequences, not just in terms of a th threat to your life, but also your job, you know, financial security, everything was at stake. There's huge pressure to compromise, to sell out. And so it was in that context that John wrote to the church, to the Christians. And the intention was to guide and encourage them in the midst of this very difficult time. And so this passage about the dragon, the woman, and the child is also meant to do that. How? Okay, let's jump in. I want to begin by talking about the identity of the dragon, the woman, and the child. What do they symbolize? Because, you know, we can speculate all we want about what they are, and, but when we speculate about the identity of those three parties, um, you know, they can lead to uh, a different way of reading the scripture, which may or may not be um, what the author um, intended. So, let's start with the woman. Who is the woman? See, John actually tells us that he gives us clues in the passage. The clue to the identity of this woman lies in John's description of her in verses 1 and 2. The first one there, with the sun and moon and stars, you'll find a similar description in Joseph's dream in Genesis 37.9. The sun and the moon, they represent Abraham and Sarah. And the 11 stars would be the 11 brothers of Joseph. And together with Joseph... 12 altogether, and together, 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 they represent Israel, the people of God, whom the child is going to come from. You know, and the part there about the woman screaming in labor pains and struggling to give birth, that's not like just like additional interesting material. It is actually another clue for woman equals Israel. See, in the Old Testament, like in the, like in the book of Isaiah, Israel has been pictured as a pregnant mother waiting to give birth. So, who is the woman? In this passage, the woman represents Israel. Um, before we move on to the child, let me just say one more thing about this biblical notion of Israel. See, before Jesus, the chosen people of God as Israel were defined by ethnicity. But after the arrival of Jesus, the people of God are defined in relation to Jesus Christ. And all those who are in Christ are part of the true Israel. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of Galatians chapter 6, verse 16, says it this way, All who walk by this standard are the true Israel of God, his chosen people, referring to those who are in Christ Jesus, meaning to say the woman encompasses both pre-Jesus and post-Jesus Israel. The people of God. Okay, next up, the child. Are you ready for the child? Who is the child? Any guesses? Jesus, I hear whispers of Jesus. Yes, the Messiah. But how do we know? How do we know that John is talking about Jesus here? 
he says, this child is going to rule over all the nations with an iron rod. Now, this short little phrase here, it might seem insignificant, but it's actually very significant. It comes from Psalm 2, which is a psalm about how the Messiah, the one who is to come, will defeat all the enemies and then be enthroned as ruler over the earth. Now, some of you might be thinking this, Psalm what? Psalm 23, I know, but Psalm 2, what's that? But actually, you know what? Most of you have come across this before. Do you remember at Jesus' uh, baptism, do you remember? Like there was a voice from heaven that said, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Does that sound familiar? Guess what? That's from Psalm 2. So basically, identifying Jesus as the one the one who would defeat all the enemies and then be enthroned as ruler of the world. So when John here connects the male child with this Psalm 2, he's already telling us who this male child is, Jesus. And now, next one, I know you have all been waiting for this one. Who's the dragon? Not Pastor Brenda. See, Pastor Wade, who cannot be here today. I hope he's watching this. Um, actually, really wanted to be here. You know why he wanted to be here? He wanted to, I mean, he, I mean, he never actually introduced me before I come up to speak, but today he actually wanted to be here to introduce me as the dragon before I preach the sermon. So you might be wondering, like, okay, what, what's the deal? Like, what's the background? So my surname, my last name is Long. Long, meaning dragon. And so this picture of celebration with the dragon um, is considered to be, I mean, unlike the Western dragon, is, this is considered to be an auspicious thing, you know. It is associated with strength and good health and nobility and also maleness. So I got all kinds of jokes growing up about my, my last name. Um, I was called the dragon lady and many other creative names. And also, you know what, as a young Christian, I was told to repent on behalf of my ancestors because of my last name. Because the dragon represents um, the devil in the Bible. But as you all know by now, so much of revelation is symbolic and allegorical uh, with many complex layers and not men, not all are meant to be taken literally. So who's the dragon? Here in this passage, we are told that the dragon is the ancient serpent. The one called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. The dragon is the crafty one who deceived the woman in the garden in Genesis 3. The dragon is also described as both Satan and the devil. See, the word devil means one who slanders, who accuses. And the word Satan means adversary. It's someone standing in opposition, an enemy. And so the dragon is an enemy of God who opposes God's will, is crafty and deceptive, is fond of accusations. And other parts of scripture show the devil to be the one who kills and murders and who disguises himself as an angel of light. We are also given other descriptions about the dragon. Seven heads, 
ten horns and its tail sweeping away stars, which I will not go into um, given our short time together. But I'll just say I'll just say this: they are details used to identify the dragon as also the beast in the book of Daniel especially in chapters 7 and 8. So if you're really intrigued and curious, go and read more about it. Okay, so now that we have an idea of what the woman, the child, and the dragon represent, um, let's, let's dig into um, what, some of what John saw in his vision. Of course, we cannot go into every scene, you know, but so I've, we just uh, focus on those scenes which I believe, you know, it's really the main thrust of his message here. So in his vision, John saw the birth of the male child through the line of Israel, the woman, and from there, he saw the ascension of Jesus. Very quickly, birth, go up to heaven. So, okay, it is a little um, stuck there, but anyways, um, just now, you know, in the, right, being caught up, to God and to his throne. That is referring to the ascension of Jesus, going back to heaven, if you will. So birth, go up to heaven, and then shortly after that, John saw a war break out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought back. But we are told that the dragon was not strong enough to prevail. So there was no longer any place left in heaven for him and his angels. And they were cast out of heaven and thrown down to earth. Satan lost. The devil lost. And a voice in heaven burst into a song. In verse 10, it goes like this. The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the ruling authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the one who accuses them day and night before our God has been thrown down. Yes, the, the devil is defeated. The war is over. We have won. Except that the voice did not stop there. And I'm grateful that the voice did not stop there. I'm grateful that there's more to that. And why is that? Because I believe that what John goes on to record down for us in the remaining part is something that we all need to hear. It is the critical part. Something that Christians everywhere need to grab hold of. Such that when the going gets tough, we don't become jaded and disillusioned and even lose our faith. See, just like the people that John was writing to who might be wondering, because they were in a very difficult situation, right? So they might be wondering, uh, where's the good news? I don't see any. Where's the victory? I only see suffering and defeat. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus in all of this? We too might have wondered the same. Especially when things are tough in our lives. You might be asking, why, Lord? How long, Lord? And John has something to say to that. He tells us in the rest of the song. It's a pretty long song in chapter um, 12. Oops, uh, that's right, that's the right one. But they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did, did not love their life so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore, you heavens rejoice and all who reside in them. But 
woe to the, to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you. He is filled with terrible anger, for he knows that he only has a little time. And so we're going to zoom in on that part there that says, he's, he's filled with terrible anger, for he knows that he only has little time. Little time to create, to create havoc on earth. But well, you see, the, the perception of time is very subjective. Here, little time means limited. It doesn't mean short. I mean, how can 2,000 years be short, right? I mean, not to me. And you know what? When, when things are difficult, even a short, short time could seem like a long, long time. Would you agree? Now, how many of you know or have tried this, the plank hold? I know you may think you're looking at me and thinking what I'm talking about. Oh, okay, you're there helping me with it. Um, see the plank hold. So you're supposed, for those of you who have not tried this, you're supposed to hold rigid like a plank of wood and not let your tummy dip down or the butt go up. And you're supposed to hold it for a length of time. Say 30 seconds, maybe one minute, two minutes, the brave ones can go for five minutes. See, time takes on a totally new meaning here. For those of, for those of, those of us who have experienced this, you know, when you're shaking away, when you're feeling the discomfort and the burn, even five seconds more is too long. So, all that to say, when things are hard, time seems to go on too long. I mean, that's also to lighten things up a little bit, you know, because, you know, revelation is quite intense. Um, yeah, so sometimes it just seems like when things are so difficult, you know, um, time just doesn't pass quickly enough. But this song, it tells us that the devil has limited time. And what is this limited time? I mean, we are not at the end of the limited time yet, but what is this time? It is the time between the ascension of Jesus, Jesus going up to heaven, and when he comes back. And so, um, it is also expressed in symbolic numbers, like this. When you see one, two, six, zero days, and time, times, and half a time, it is referring to the in-between time, between Jesus going up to heaven and him coming back again. So in this time, times, and half a time, it's quite a mouthful, right? The devil wants to make things very difficult on earth. The devil wants to undo the work of Christ as much as possible. So how is he doing that? John tells us here. By going after making war on the rest of the women's, of the women's children, which refers to the church of Christ the Christians, the followers of Jesus, those who hold on to the testimony about Jesus, the worldwide church. And what is his mode of operation? The thing to note here is that, you know, it's very easy to think, whoa, accuser thrown down, end of story, happy, happily ever after. 
But the thing to know is that while the accuser has been thrown down from heaven, it doesn't mean that the accuser has stopped accusing. He can't accuse you before God in heaven, but he can surely accuse you to your face. It is who he is. He accuses and slanders and deceives. Can you help me move to the next slide? Thank you. He will keep on reminding you of your sins. The stuff that you've done in your past, he won't let you forget that. Or the stuff that you constantly struggle with, he won't let that go. You know why the devil can be so effective at times? He's pretty effective, actually. Because he's right. He's partly right. Remember, he is the master of half-truth. So it is true that you have sinned. It is true that I have sinned. It is true that you have acted selfishly. It is true that I have been quick to judge. It is true that we have been manipulative. It is true that we have been deceptive. It is true that we have been greedy. It is true that we have been arrogant and self-righteous. It is true that we want to look after ourselves more than we want to look after others. See, the accusations are not totally groundless. But what the accuser loves to leave out is the finished work of Christ on the cross. The saving power of the blood of the Lamb that covers all your sin and all my sin. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, says Paul in Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, not any powers or demons. Nothing, says Paul in the same chapter. The dragon also loves to deceive and to distort truth. Truth about who God is. Truth about how God's world should work. Remember, he can masquerade as an angel of light, presenting untruth, half-truth, three-quarter truth as God's truth. Next week, we're going to talk a lot more about deception. And we overcome deception, untruth, by the word of our testimony. Testifying to the truth about who Jesus is, what he has done, what he is doing, what he's doing right now through us speaking the truth and walking the truth. And the dragon can also go after God's people by threatening to take life away. For Christians in the first century, that was a real everyday threat. But for us today, the threat might look different. Maybe it's in the form of financial security or social status. But in any case, John wants us to know that we overcome by not loving our lives so much that we are afraid to die. We could die, and many martyrs have, but death no longer has any power over us. Just like death could not hold the lamb down when he was slain on the cross. And finally, God provides spiritual protection over us during this in-between time. This is what taking refuge in the wilderness means in the passage in verses 6 and 14. See, the enemy could threaten, could instill fear, could accuse, 
and deceive could even kill us. But no one can separate us from the love of God. The dragon is your accuser. Yes, but remember who your advocate is. Remember who is interceding for you. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says this, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. God, Jesus, is always interceding for us. Jesus is always watching over us. Look, the Lamb is on the throne. And he says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that the ultimate victory has been decisively won 2,000 years ago. And we thank you that even now, when we, when, when the devil is on a rampage, throwing a tantrum because he knows he's, he's lost forever. Even when we struggle in this in-between time, that you are with us. You are advocating for us. You are interceding for us. And there is so much hope in knowing that one day the dragon will be thrown, will be banished forever and ever and that you alone hold the keys to life and death. And we are in your hands.